Is there something in your life, either current or from your past, paralyzing you in fear or guilt? Well, this week, Chris digs into four statements that carry a deep and powerful message about the importance of confronting one's past and finding a path to forgiveness and healing. Here's Chris. Welcome back to Genesis. If you're new with us, we are, we are in a series going through the book of Genesis, and we are in chapter 42 today. So I want to encourage you to take out your Bible or open up your device and open up to your Bible and follow along in the Scriptures. I want to continually point us back to God's Word because when life happens, that's where I want you to go. I can give you some commentary and background and make it entertaining along the way and help you get some of the kind of nuanced points that you might not get if you didn't know the background and commentary. But in the end, every one of us needs to be rooted in the Word of God, and that's where we need to go when life happens. And actually, that's where we need to go every day. So I want to encourage you to pull out your Bible or follow along on a device and uh, and read with me, okay? The, the surveys have been done on this, and what they found out is the people who bring their Bibles to church read their Bibles during the week. Uh, and so let's build that habit, keep bringing them, keep reading, and, uh, and keep going to God's Word and His truth. Uh, so we're in this series in Genesis, uh, and we the last quarter of the book really follows the life of Joseph, and we've been looking at his life over the past several weeks with a break for Easter. Um, and uh, Joseph's this interesting character. Uh, he's Abraham's great-grandson. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob was given another name by God, Israel. That's where the name for the nation comes from. But Jacob will be referred to interchangeably as Jacob or Israel. And then Jacob had 12 sons. His 11th son, born to his favorite wife, and we've already covered why having a favorite wife is a bad idea. Um, so it, you can go back and listen to that if you want to. But what we he had two sons to his favorite wife, Rachel. His favorite son was his 11th son, Joseph. Joseph, though, lacked a little emotional intelligence. He's a very gifted kid. His dad lacked a little... Uh, relational intelligence as well because he showed favoritism to his son Joseph in an you know kind of overt way gave him a coat of many colors really ticked off the brothers because you know everybody wants to be the favorite son or at least not have a favorite son but Joseph was and then Joseph would have these dreams of his family bowing down before him and he told them his dreams and they're like who the heck do you think you are kid and so eventually they grew to hate him and then they threatened to kill him uh, and then in an act of mercy and they didn't want his blood on their hands they just sold him into slavery and he was taken off to Egypt all right so he gets to Egypt he's sold as a slave to a guy named Potiphar head of the guard there in in Egypt uh, Joseph's got this personality uh, where he just blooms where he's planted. And so he ends up, rather than getting bitter about being sold into slavery, he just ends up doing his job as best as he can. Uh, and he rises to the top of the household. He's put in charge of Potiphar's household. Potiphar's wife hits on him. He denies her advances. She accuses him of rape. He ends up in Potiphar's dungeon. And so he spends 12 years in a dungeon in prison of course, he blooms where he's planted. He rises to the top of the, 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 the pecking order in the prison. 
and ends up kind of being, you know, the right-hand man to the prison uh, guard or whoever the, the warden would be. Um, and so, but in around year 10, Pharaoh throws two of his officials into this dungeon because, as best we can tell, somebody tried to assassinate the Pharaoh. And it was one of these two guys, but we don't know which one, or the Pharaoh didn't know which one. So he throws them both in prison until they can figure out what the heck's going on and who did what. While they're there, they both have a dream on one particular evening, wake up, they're terribly disturbed. Joseph walks in, he's like, what's bugging you guys? And they're like, we had these dreams. He's like, dreams? I know dreams. Um, so they tell him his, their dreams, he interprets their dreams, you're going to die, you're going to be restored in three days. Three days later, this guy dies, this guy ends up back in his position in Pharaoh's court. And so when before he leaves, Joseph's like, tell the Pharaoh about me. I don't deserve this. I didn't do what they told me I did or what they, they're accusing me of. And so the, the cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh's court. He has... Complete amnesia about Joseph, forgets for two years. Joseph rots in prison for two years. That's where we picked up last week. Um, and then the Pharaoh has a dream, jogs his memory. They bring Joseph out of the prison. He interprets the Pharaoh's dream. You're going to have seven years of famine, or seven years of bumper crops, and then seven years of famine. And oh, by the way, here's what I would do if I were you. I would tax everybody 20% of their crops during the bumper years, and then sell the food during the, uh, the, the lean years, during the famine. You'll save the country. You'll save your kingship. And uh, eventually, as we're about to see, they save the countries surrounding them as well because it all works. Uh, but the Pharaoh turns to him and goes, man, nobody as wise as you, nobody with the spirit of God like you've got, you're in charge. And Joseph goes from the prison to being second in command in all of Egypt, which is the second most powerful person in all the world. You guys got all that? That's a quick synopsis, but it's important because if you're joining us for the first time, you need to know how we got to where we are today. So the famine is spread. We're a year or two into the famine at this point, and, um, and people are starving all the way back in the land of, Ca land of Canaan where Joseph's family's from. And that's where we're going to pick up Genesis 42, beginning of the book, 42 chapters in. Here we go. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Jacob's like, I heard there's grain in Egypt. Why are you, you've got the boys circled up, you know, the brothers. And he's like, why are you just sitting there? Go to Egypt. Egypt's the last place they want to go. Like the, when he mentions Egypt, whenever the E word is spoken, they just kind of like look at each other sideways like, boy, like, like there, there is something that happened that's tied to Egypt. And the world was a little bit smaller then as well. You know, uh, it's kind of like when you meet somebody from West Virginia, somewhere else in the country, you're like, oh, do you know? Are you related to? And half the time you are or you do. Um, right. And so. So same thing, you know, I mean, like if somebody, as people were traveling through, coming from Egypt, they boys would just hold their breath because where did Joseph go? He went to Egypt. And what if, what if it comes out? What if dad finds out that Joseph's still alive, that we lied, that we did? Nobody can ever find out. This is their secret. This is, this is why they're looking at each other kind of drop-jawed when dad, it's the last place they want to go. They don't want to go to Egypt. Then, 
Ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin. So they go begrudgingly. He did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. So Egypt's the last place they want to go. I mean, what if they run into Joseph? They can't just leave him there. I mean, they've been carrying this burden for 22 years, and if, oh, what if people know, what if people have heard about them? Which brings me to my first question for you today, which is this, what is your Egypt? What is the thing that if people found out about you, it would be over? Maybe the, if, if people in church found out, you couldn't come anymore because you got this thing in your past that's kind of a secret, we got, we're not going to talk about it, and when, when people bring it up, you just kind of hold your breath and hope that, you know, when they mention Egypt. What's your Egypt? That thing you don't want anybody to find out. Now, for dad, Jacob, he doesn't want to send his youngest son, Benjamin. Benjamin is, his, is the other son of Rachel, Joseph's full brother. The other, the other brothers are... Bro- Brothers from another mother, so to speak. But Benjamin is, is his full, his brother. And ever since Joseph, or since Jacob found out that Joseph was dead, quote unquote dead, or believed that he was dead, uh, he's been broken. And he has been fearful. And his affections went from Joseph, who, who now he believes is dead, and his wife Rachel, who is dead, to Benjamin. And his whole world is wrapped up in a very dysfunctional way in little Benny. And uh, he's not over Joseph. Dad's not over Joseph, but Benny's where this affection is going. And so he can't go. I'm going to protect him. You know, <clears throat> your past, your unresolved past can affect you in, in a couple ways. It can paralyze you in fear. I'm going to protect Benny. Nothing can happen to Benny. Or it can paralyze you in guilt. And, and, and Jacob and the boys... Jacob's dealing with fear. The boys are dealing with guilt. So again, what have you done or what has been done to you that you're like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. I get really uncomfortable when people bring it up. It can't come out. What has been done to you or what have you done that paralyzes you in fear or guilt? Most of us, have some unresolved issue in our past that we are terrified of. Not all of us. Some of us have dealt with it, but a lot of us do. Dad is paralyzed here. You can't take Benny. He's the helicopter parent, you know. He's so concerned that something might happen to him that, that he will lose him, that he suffocates him. He prote- overprotects him. The events of the last 22 years have crippled Jacob emotionally he's carried this for 22 years and now the boys who have been crippled and paralyzed with with guilt well now they have to walk to the very place they don't want to go they're on the edge i imagine on the way there they would you know as they're traveling through the desert on their way to egypt they're waking up during the night going (gasps) you know oh my goodness what if we run like i had a dream i ran into joseph you know those kind of things. The reality of the boys is they've not been free for 22 years. They have carried this with them for 20 
two years. Verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land. We covered that last week. The person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw saw his brothers, he recognized them. Now we know they don't recognize him. He recognizes them. Now that raises the question, how could that be? They're brothers. How could they not rec- how could he not how could they not recognize him? Well, I think he recognizes them. It's been 22 years. So people change in 22 years. But he recognizes them. He's got some context clues. They've come from the land of Canaan. There's 10 brothers. They they he's hearing their names. He's he's got a place to put that and he figures out pretty quickly who they are. He's completely out of context for them. He's, he, he, he walks, talks, and looks like an Egyptian. His, his head's probably shaved. He's, he's got on all the Egyptian garb and clothes of royalty. He's speaking through an interpreter. So he's not even speaking their language. They don't even think he speaks their language. He's in a position of authority. He was, came as a slave. They don't recognize him. Not to mention that between the ages of between the ages of 17 and 30, 39, people change a lot. I, th- I was thinking about this the other day. I, my, my good friend, our worship arts director, Matt Parsons, I call him Matty P. Let's say Matty, let's say Matty P together. Matty P. Yeah, we love Matty P. Um, anyway, Matty P, I remember this, this, this picture he showed me of him when he was 17. When he was 17. Go ahead and throw it up. There he is. Right? So that's Matty P. Now, if Matty P showed up 22 years later looking like this, you would have no idea. Especially if he was shaved bald and everything else. Yeah, so, you know, he's out of context. He doesn't rec- they don't recognize him. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You're spies! You've come to see where our land is unprotected. He recognizes them, and as they bow down in front of him, he remembers the dream he had 22 years before, that they would bow down before him. This was the dream that made them so angry. And his response to them is not to reveal who he is, but to accuse them of being spies. Now, it's important that you understand, this is not retribution. This is not unforgiveness. This is not him getting revenge on them, so I'm just going to treat them bad because they treated me bad. We know from last week that he has forgiven them, that he has let it go. He names his first son Manasseh, which means I praise God because I've been able to forget you know, I, 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 and he, and we also know just as we read through today's passage, he hasn't forgotten. He remembers his brothers. He remembers what happened. He remembers all of that, but he has let it go. If he hadn't let it go, he would have, he would have withered and died in a pool of loathing and bitterness, but he doesn't. It would have rotted his soul because he was able to forgive and able to let it go. It's how he was able to rise to the top in Potiphar's house, how he was able to rise to the top in prison, and how he was able to rise to the top and where he is now. If he had not let it go, it would have destroyed him from the inside out. 
He's not unforgiving. He names his second son Ephraim, which means God has blessed me in Egypt. And I really believe he ties those two things together. And guys, just, just a, you know, free pastoral advice for you. As long as you're holding on to bitterness, it will keep you from prospering. It will keep you from being fruitful. Like the key to being fruitful, to rising to the top, to becoming all you can be is letting go of what has happened what you have done and what has been done to you. Joseph got that. And so he's not taking out retribution on his brothers here. What he is doing is he's testing them. He needs to know that they've changed. Verse 10, No, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you've come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and and one is no more. And I imagine at that point, Joseph was probably thinking in his head, and how long have you been believing that lie? One is no more? That's crazy. They're just kind of pretending like, oh, he's done and gone. Now, but they're not. Because who, after 22 years, maybe a parent, but certainly not brothers who hated their other brother, is going to mention that other brother? I mean, after 22 years, it's like, we're 11 brothers. Why would you? Because they can't forget Joseph. They can't forget. They can't shake him, and they can't shake what they've done. And so Joseph's brought up. And Joseph's thinking, oh, Benny's okay. Dad's still alive. And he's kind of, you know, breathing a sigh of relief there. And then in verse 14, Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies. So he's playing the game. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your younger brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you're not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. He wants to know that Benny is alive. He wants to know that his father is alive. He needs proof. I imagine he misses them terribly. And and so... In verse 18, on the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. Now, wait a second. Three days earlier, Joseph said, I'm going to send one of you back and put put nine of you in prison. And three days later, he comes back and changes the plan. I'm going to send one of, or I'm going to send nine of you and keep one of you in prison. For me, this is just a little sidebar thing. Like if somebody were making up a story, you wouldn't do that. But if you were just recording the events of what happened and what had been said, it's perfectly logical for Joseph to say, I'm going to hold on to nine of you and send one of you. But after three days of reflecting on that, What you end up with is him going, you know what, if I send one with some food in the middle of a famine, they're going to end up dead on the side of the road. They're going to get robbed. 
never going to make it back, and they're not going to be able to get food back to the starving family, which is 70-some people at this point in time. They can't carry enough. And so he changes the plan over those three days, and he comes and he says, says, change of plan, guys. I'm sending nine of you back. You take food to your families. I'm going to hold on to one for collateral. I'm just going to hold on to, to Simeon for collateral so that you come back, and you come back, and you bring Benny. Where was I? Here I am. All right. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. They're talking about Joseph here. Surely we're being punished for what we did 22 years before. You heard his how he pled. You heard for his his freedom for for us to have mercy on him but we would not listen and that's why this distress has come upon us reuben replied now reuben is the oldest brother and and he 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 was like all right throw him in the pit and then he was going to come back and rescue him and when he got back they had already sold him into slavery he wasn't really part of that so reuben replies didn't i tell you not to sin against the boy nothing like a 22 year i told you so But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. So he has Simeon handcuffed and perp walks him out. So that's the last image they have in their brain. They got to come back and get their brother. But before he does that, he pulls away from them and goes over to the corner and weeps. Why? Joseph has been able to forgive. He's been able to to let it go. I think think he's weeping for them. As, As they recount frame by frame what they had done to him, he realizes that they have been living under this and carrying this for 22 years. The reality is, even though he was in in prison or in slavery for a big part of that time, they're the ones that were living in slavery and prison. And he weeps for them, I think. They remembered every word like it happened yesterday, 22 years ago. Anybody got something like that in your life? You remember everything that happened. Well, in verse 25, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give him provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and they left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. And their hearts sank. And they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this that God has done to us? Now, I don't know about you, but if I go to Kroger and I buy a huge thing of groceries and the cashier is like, thanks for the money, but you know what? You can keep the money and the groceries. Go on your way. I'm not going, oh my gosh, what is this thing that the Lord has done to me? Anybody doing that? 
what is going on? What is going on here? Well, that brings me to point one. And if you haven't taken out your notes yet, I encourage you to do so. Point one is this. Our failure to deal with our past will rob our future. Even the good stuff. Everything is looked at through the lens of guilt and punishment. Everything. Even the good things are being stolen and are being seen as bad. And you end up with this voice in your head saying, you deserve this. Or maybe you don't deserve this when the good things come. And you hear that voice over and over and over and you can't even enjoy the good things in life because of the dang voice. You don't deserve this. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. Remember that? Yeah, it's been 22 years, but yeah, you did it. How long has it been for you? You know, and we can handle this voice in, in a couple different ways, or we typically do, three dysfunctional ways. One is, is we just pretend that it doesn't, it doesn't exist. Blah, 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 what voice? I don't hear no, I don't hear a voice. Joseph was the brother who was no more. Ah, he just doesn't exist. They're trying to pretend like he doesn't, he, it never happened, and yet they remember every word that was spoken. You can pretend, but you can't get away from it. He was, never was. And so they see everything, again, as payback, as, as retribution for, for the very wrong that they've done to their, their brother. But here's the problem with ignoring it, pretending that it doesn't exist. It does. And you can't get away from you. Wherever you go, there you are. Right? So you can change your spouse, your house, your name. You can change your job. You can change what country you live in. Wherever you end up, you're still going to be there, and it's still going to be there with you, whether you're pretending it doesn't exist or not. Second way we tend to handle it in a dysfunctional way is we blame other people. Well, they did this to us. It was my parents' fault. It was my dad's fault for not being there or being there and being abusive or that it was somebody else who abused me along the way or, or it, was, it was the system that I grew up in. And we'll blame, 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 blame. But here's the problem with this strategy. It doesn't work either because the people that you're blaming don't pick up the burden and carry it for you. They don't. I mean, you can blame them, and you will grow bitter, and it will twist your heart. But you end up carrying the burden anyway, not them. You just carry it as a bitter person. The third way we tend to handle this voice in a dysfunctional way is we blame ourselves. I'm dumb, 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 dumb. I can't believe I did that. I'm, I deserve this. I'm so stupid. I make dumb decisions. I deserve it. I'm not good enough. You know the words. So how do you get rid of this voice? Because those three strategies don't work. They don't. They leave us in a prison of, our, of um, regret and guilt and pain. And obviously this voice is still with the boys. And now they have to go home and they have to tell dad that they lost Simeon too. 
they're dreading this. So in verse 29, when they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land, that would be Joseph, spoke harshly to us and treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men, we are not spies. We were 12 brothers, sons of one father, one is no more, the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your youngest brother to me so I will know that you are not spies but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was a pouch of silver was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. <laughs> Pretty fatalistic, huh? Everything is against me. Jacob has been broken since the day they brought the bloody coat home. He's, he's, he's paralyzed. Everything is negative. He has grown bitter and he has grown pessimistic. He is being unfairly mean to his boys. Well, not really unfairly, but he doesn't know that he's not being unfairly mean to because they think he, Joseph was just killed by an animal, or he thinks that Joseph was just killed by an animal. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put, well, before I read this, this is like the most unlogical statement you're going to read. It makes no sense. Why would Reuben say this? Again, for me, this is evidence that the Scriptures are just recording what was said. What Reuben is, say, is doing here is he's speaking out from his grief and from the weight and the load of what he's carried for the last 22 years in this secret. He says, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you and trust him to my care and I will bring him back. In other words, Dad, we have to take Benny down to Egypt. I can't live for another 22 years with another brother on my conscience. Whatever we do, we have to take him back. We have to. You can kill your grandsons. Who's going to kill their grandsons? Nobody's going to kill their grandsons. It's, it's an illogical statement, but it's the emotion of the moment. I can't do this anymore. we got to go get Simeon back. But Jacob said, My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to, gra down to the grave in sorrow. And he says, I think one of the most hurtful things you can say to a group of sons. Basically, he says, you're not my sons. The only son I have left is Benny. The rest of you, whatever. He lashes out at his boys from his grief. And he says things that should never be said. So basically what we have here is we've got a dysfunctional group of brothers who are living in fear 
that the lie that they the lies that they have told and the sins that they have committed we're going to find them out and they are making all kinds of horrible decisions because of that including hey we're just going to sit here and starve to death until dad forces them to go to Egypt they're paralyzed in their guilt and their fear that they're going to be found out and you have a dad who is broken in unresolved grief and is lashing out at his, his sons and telling them, well, your, bro- your brother Benny is really my only son. Can you feel the pain? This poor family. Oh, I know, they, they did it to themselves. But you know what? So have we. We all have a past. Every one of us have things that we don't want people to find out about. We all have an Egypt. Some of us have resolved it. Some of us have dealt with it in a healthy way. But we all have stuff in our past. Or we have things that have been done to us that we are allowing to continue to just jack us up and make us bitter along the way. And we hurt the people around us. And it's a world of dysfunction. Welcome to America 2023. So how, given the reality that life happens and we make mistakes, and mistakes are made against us, how do we not end up where these guys have ended up? That's the question. How do we deal with this? Which brings me to point number two. Are you ready? Write this down. Face the truth and it will set you free. Nobody here is facing the truth. Jacob's not facing the truth because he doesn't know what the truth is. And the boys aren't facing the truth because they're just pretending it never happened. They all swept it under the rug and they're just hoping it will go away. And it's not going away and it's destroyed their lives. It's destroyed their family. It's destroyed their relationships. At Easter, I, I said, revealing is the beginning of healing. You know, when, when uh, Peter denies Jesus three times, the first conversation that Jesus has with Peter afterwards where they can sit down and, and have a real conversation, Jesus makes it clear He knows about all three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter, there's nothing I don't know, and you're still qualified. You are forgiven. You are restored. There's still a place for you in my kingdom, and this isn't going to come back and haunt you someday because it's all out in the open. Revealing is the beginning of healing. When Jesus meets the woman at the well in John chapter 4, He's having this conversation with her. It's the first person that he goes, I'm the Messiah. She's not Jewish. She's a woman, which culturally would have been a big deal in their their context. And uh, she's got a very questionable past. And Jesus reveals himself to her, tells tells her who he is, and then invites her into the mission of going and sharing it with the rest of the village. And as they're having this conversation... It starts out about water. He's like, hey, can you get me a drink? And she's like, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew and you're a man. You're not supposed to be talking to me. And he's like, well, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for a drink. I'll give you water. You won't get thirsty again. She's like, I'd have some of that, please. And he's like, I'm not talking about water. I'm talking about your, your soul, water that quenches the thirst in your soul. And she's like, oh, well, you know, religion. Okay, well, there's this and that. And he goes, listen, I'm the Messiah. And she's like, all right, whatever. I don't know that she's picking up what he's laying down. 
And he's like, go get your husband and come back. I want to I share some things with you. I don't have a husband. Really? He goes, you're right. You've had five and you're living with a guy now that's not your husband. Why would he do that? Is it to shame her? No, not at all. I mean, you read the context of it, it's, it's, it's compassion. It's because he's about to use her life in pretty powerful, miraculous ways. It's about to write her into history in, in a way that most people never, never get written into history. And he doesn't want her past robbing her of her future. And so we're just going to deal with it all now. Revealing is the beginning of healing. If you face the truth, it will set you free. And here's the truth. And I see this a lot with, with marriages. You will never get past a lie. You can get past the truth. It's painful. But you can heal. You can rebuild trust. You can, can move beyond the difficult circumstance that you're in. If you'll tell the truth, I tell couples all the time when we're kind of sitting down and there's a crisis, I'm like, okay, everything on the table. You can't hold anything back here because revealing is the beginning of healing. You can't get past a lie. You can get past the truth and grow stronger on the other side, but you can't ever get past a lie. And in the context of our our Lord, He knows everything anyway. It's not like He's like, hmm, really, I didn't know that. No, you saw it. He was there. Couldn't hide it if you wanted to. Which brings me to point three. Accept the truth no matter how hard it is. Accept the truth no matter how difficult it is to accept. Yes, I did do that. Yes, that was done to me. No, it wasn't their fault. Stop blaming others. Stop blaming yourself. Accept the fact that it happened, that it's part of your story, that either you did it or it was done to you, that you're guilty or you're broken. That's the reality. That's where we start from. Now, we don't stay that way if we're willing to face the truth and then accept the truth. And then four... Receive grace and let go of guilt. Receive grace and let go of guilt. You know, Satan's job description in the Bible was the accuser of the brethren. That's one of his job descriptions. And he's really good at it. Every one of us has given him plenty of material in our lives and in our past to go back and, and, and say, well, you did this, you did that, and we're sitting in church worshiping, and we hear that voice, and it's like, oh, yeah, I guess I don't deserve to worship God because I did this, and he'll, and, and he'll just accuse and accuse and accuse and accuse. Unless we deal with our stuff. It's the unresolved sin in our lives. It's the unresolved brokenness in our lives that blows us up that he goes back to time and again and says, uh-huh, look at you. 1 John 1.9, I think, gives us the antidote to this particular problem. This is our memory verse for this weekend. If you are, I encourage you to memorize Scripture. You know, you just tuck some Scripture verses away in your heart that you can, uh, you can pull out at the drop of a hat 
These are super helpful, and it's a wonderful spiritual discipline. This would be a good one to memorize. It says this, 1 John 1.9, If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, in other words, if we stop hiding, stop blaming, just bring it out into the, into the light, He, being God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So not only will God forgive our sins, He purifies us. He restores us. He makes us new. Guys, this is a promise you can stand on. You can deal with your past through confession. And God restores us. God cleanses us. He makes us new. See, once you... Once you face the truth, once you accept the truth, once you receive His grace, the enemy can't use your past against you anymore. It's done. Shut the pie hole, enemy. Yes, I did that. I owned it. God forgave it. And you can't use it anymore. See, your past can be Satan's most powerful weapon or God's most profound testimony. And how we deal with it determines what it's going to be. It's like when we confess our sins to God and He forgives us, it's like taking the fangs and the claws out of a lion. The enemy is a toothless, clawless enemy. He can't do much. Because even though that happened, been taken care of and we don't have to relive it for 22 years we don't have to walk around in fear for 22 years we don't have to blow up relationships because we have this unresolved thing cycling in our brain and in our life robbing us of our future here's my encouragement to you Confess specifically. I think that a lot of times Christians would be like, okay, God, I've, I've, I'm a sinner. Forgive my sins. And then we find ourselves going over and over again. Okay, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive my sins. And we never really deal with the past. But if you confess specifically, it's one of the things I love about the 12-step process is that as part of that, you sit down and you make a fearless moral inventory. Here's everything I've ever done. The enemy isn't going to hold any of this stuff over me anymore. And you make them pages and pages. Then they'll go and have conversations with the people that they've harmed and say, I'm really sorry, and try and make resolution. They're powerfully liberating experience. You sin specifically, confess specifically, and then receive God's forgiveness. It's done. It's finished. Jesus paid for it on the cross. Now, here's the deal, guys. Church people are really good at pretending. We've somehow bought this lie. Not all of us, but a lot of people have bought this lie that you know, being a Christian and going to church means pretending that everything's okay. You know, you 
fighting with your family the whole way here and get out of the minivan and run into Jim Nagy at the, at the parking lot and he's like, hey, how you doing? You're like, oh, God's good. You know, God's good. And we, guys, being a Christian is not about having your crap together. Now, I, I do believe as we walk with God over time, we get better and we get better. We get become more functional because just because of some of the stuff we're talking about today. But you're not perfect. And it's not about, you know, looking good in church. It's about being real. And that's, that's refreshing. That's why I love folks who are in, in recovery or have been through recovery because they're just like, I got nothing to hide. You know, they're, they're just done pretending because they know they're just fooling themselves. And it's just so refreshing when somebody goes, yeah, I, I did that and I did that and I did that, but God has forgiven me and he's restoring me and, and, it, and, and it's so awesome to watch God do his best work in the lives of people who are just like, yeah, that was me. See, it's when we get real that God does His most powerful redemptive work in our lives. You know, the Pharisees, Jesus' day, the Pharisees, the problem with the Pharisees is they didn't even acknowledge the fact that they needed forgiveness. And Jesus is like, I can't do anything for you. It's those who know they need a Savior that I can work with. So Christians, stop pretending. Deal with your past. Confess your sins. You want to take this to the next level? James tells us, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you might be healed. If you don't have another believer that you can trust and share your deepest, darkest things with find one get in a life group meet some people find some friends that you can live on that level with it will change your life and it's not just forgiveness it's freedom it's not just hey okay it's paid for you're forgiven it's it's washed away you don't have to live under that anymore and that's what jesus died and rose from the grave to give us. But we have to accept it. And if we don't, our failure to deal with our past will rob our future. But if we will face the truth, it will set us free. If we will accept the truth, no matter how hard it is, and stop pretending, it will bring liberation to our souls. And if we will receive God's grace and let go of the guilt, accept His promise that He will forgive and restore, wash away. Oh my goodness, there's a life waiting for us. And many of us have been in living in fear of Egypt and you don't have to anymore. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank You for Your love. I thank You for sending Jesus to die so that we don't have to live with guilt and shame. We don't have to live with 
in fear of somebody finding out about our Egypt. We don't have to live in bitterness. God, we don't have to be that. God, I pray for, for everyone here that You would give us the courage to confess to You. Lord, the, the courage to receive Your grace and Your forgiveness. The courage to be real. And God, I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice could experience Your liberating grace. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.